Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna. With Benelin on News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, pop artist Orla Walsh on what creativity means to her and the wellness psychologist Dr. Cloda Campbell on how being adopted led to her wanting to help others. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, it's an interesting one. I sense a bit of a change coming on. I've spoken before about the health journey I went on, sure, it was through this show that I did it, going from viewing being healthy as being restricting in food and almost punishing in exercise to something far more nourishing and addressing all that went with my previous focus on weight loss alone, really. And sometimes change comes with a pendulum swing. So I was all the way to one side and now I've swung all the way to the other side. But I sense a little bit of a settling going on. I want to be somewhere in the middle. I threw open the door to embracing life with only a focus on having a healthy relationship with food and my body. And it's been a wild and wonderful ride. And that's not to say I don't want to enjoy life anymore and nor do I want to go back to calorie counting and weighing scales. But all I can say is I've got a bit of a yen to do more, to take this new mindset that I have and put it to even better use, to focus on feeling like my best self a little bit more. I have a feeling that alcohol is going to be taking a big back seat. I'd like to be a bit more consistent in my training and I'd like to be more consistent with things like a yoga practice and rest and recovery and really actively planning them out in my week. I've been letting life take me a little bit and I want to grab the reins for a little while, this time without destructive behaviours, with that same nourishing focus. So all I can say is is... It's a good feeling. I love the turn of a new year, that energy. So I'd say that's when I might bring it into focus a little bit more. And sure, I'll keep you updated on how I am getting on. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, Dr. Cloda Campbell is known as the wellness psychologist on Instagram. Her relatable tips, tricks and strategies have earned her a legion of followers. Cloda shares not only the information she's amassed through her qualification and her clinic, but through personal experience as she openly shares her own struggles, making her hugely relatable and likeable. And Dr. Cloda Campbell joins me in studio now. Cloda, you're very welcome. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. It's very nice to have doctor before your name. Do you have it on all your bank cards and everything? (laughs) When my husband books flights for us, he puts it on our airline tickets and I always get into such a panic because I have this fear that we'll be on the plane and somebody will have a heart attack and they'll be like, well, Dr. Cloda Campbell come to the top of the plane and I'll be like... I'm a psychologist. I can't help with a heart attack, but I can help with panic attacks. So Yeah, and I'm sure yeah. there's plenty of times you could be called in for that, particularly on flights. But tell me about the lead up to getting that title, because psychology comes with a fairly big study, mm. years of self-reflection and, and study. I have a couple of friends doing it at the moment and it goes deep, 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 doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And for me... To explain who I am and to explain why I care so deeply about what I do, I think the best place to start is right back at the very beginning when I was a tiny newborn little baby and I was given up for adoption. And that hugely shaped my life and without a doubt is why I'm a psychologist today. And I say that because 
I grew up in the most loving, supportive home with two wonderful parents and I absolutely knew that they adored me and that I was special and I was this really longed for, loved baby. So I I really flourished within those four walls with them. But outside of that, in the real world, I really struggled. I really struggled to feel safe, to feel a sense of belonging, to feel a sense of worthiness, to feel of value. I often would sit in groups and in circles and I would be part of it, but I would often feel on the edge at the same time. And these are experiences that are so common amongst adopted people because I went on to study it then and I did my theses about adoption, but I struggled. I really struggled and it really manifested for me as anxiety. And I'm talking as far back as like early primary school. I remember a little girl joined our class in senior infants are first class so I'm talking six or seven and I was terrified she really posed a threat to me with my safety and my relationships with my friends I was terrified that my friends would see something in her that I didn't offer them you know like fun laughter what little girls crave I was terrified by that so anxiety was a massive part of my life primarily in relationships that sense of belonging that sense of safety And although I had my parents, I had my friends who I talked about it a little bit with and they were always there to offer me support, I felt really alone in that. I didn't know anyone else that was adopted. And, you know, when we think back to the 90s, I don't know how much we really talked about our emotions even then. You know, I'm not talking the 60s and 70s, but even in the 90s, you know, did we talk about our emotions in school? Did we learn about them? Did my parents know that much about emotions at that time? I don't think so. So I definitely carried that with me internally. I struggled with it. And I don't know if I really had an awareness of why I felt that way, but it definitely was a really prominent part of my development. Carried through into my teens and my early 20s, where it really hit and where I really struggled with it was in my relationships, romantic relationships, that sense of safety, that sense of trust. I I felt found it really hard to trust people. I found it really hard to trust that, you know, even with my now husband, that he loved me, that I was of value, that I was important to him. So I've really had to work on that for myself. And I've done so much work over the years from my teens up up until now. I'm still on that journey. I think I always will be, to be honest. But that sense of loneliness really led me to want to support other people in their sense of loneliness, with their struggle, with their, you know, those nights where you lie in bed, where you just, you are flooded with emotion and overwhelm and wondering what value you offer to the world. I wanted to support those people. And with any of the struggles that we go through on an emotional level, it's like it's a story that's playing in our head. And even when you get an understanding of it, particularly as you get older and you start to understand many of the reasons, maybe it was financial, maybe it was there was a danger issue, maybe, you know, all Mm -hmm. those things. And the same with any other, not just adoption, even though you've cognitively made peace with something in your past, it still can just play over and over in your emotions. So is that where a psychologist and a therapist comes in? Absolutely. So I really believe that we reenact patterns in our lives because we want a different ending to them. So we will replay this pattern again and again and again because perhaps that inner child inside of us wants a different ending. You know, perhaps in me, I want to feel that love 
and that safety and that connection and being worthy. And I have done that for myself now. You know, I've I've worked hard to to find that for myself. So I don't need anyone to do that for me any longer. But certainly we play out those patterns and those behaviours often unbeknownst to us. And that's where therapy and psychology support can be so helpful because we can enter into a space that's that feels safe and that we can talk about this in a really authentic, vulnerable way and not be rejected or not be judged in that space. And that's the really healing part of it. So if we can understand that we're replaying these patterns or that our behaviour is being led by these certain cognitive thoughts or these core beliefs that we have, we can make a change. So do you think that everybody should be in, in therapy? We still kind of wait to crisis point at many times before we go. And I suppose that's that's understandable. But should we knit it more into the everyday? In an ideal world, if we all had the luxury of that, yes, absolutely. I I always think, you know, the US is years ahead of us in certain ways and therapy is becoming more normalised here now and becoming more accessible and more people are entering into the process. Um, so hopefully it will come a time that we have that support to offer people who perhaps can't afford it financially. Um, but in an ideal world, absolutely. I think it can really benefit everybody. And really what it's about you know, when it's not a crisis moment, it's about reflecting on who we are, how we're behaving, how we're living our lives. Are we feeling fulfilled? Are we feeling happy? Are we feeling like we have a connection with the relationships in our life that are important? Then absolutely there's the time where it's we are in crisis and we're feeling really anxious. We're feeling really overwhelmed. We're feeling, we're feeling really low in ourselves. So both absolutely have their value and if we could all receive that support, I think it would be hugely beneficial to us all. But also at the time that it's right for the person. You know, we have to be ready, we have to be willing, we have to have the capacity and the resources to delve into it too. Yeah, yeah. I want to get into overwhelm. That's a word you said there in a moment uh, a moment ago, but we will take a break. You're listening to Alive and Kicking here on News Talk with Claire McKenna and I'm joined in studio by Dr. Clodagh Campbell, a psychologist. Alive and Kicking on News Talk. Welcome back to Alive and Kicking, where I'm joined in studio by Dr. Clodagh Campbell, a psychologist. And we were talking before the break about everybody, should everybody go to therapy? And you mentioned America and you're right over there. Going to therapy is like going for a facial. It's kind of just seen as 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 the norm in taking care of yourself. And we are getting a bit more open, I think, if somebody mm. has gone to therapy and it's been more beneficial to them that they will share that. I think things are changing. I often think maybe in schools we should have an in-house psychologist available to anyone who needs it to just normalise it. Mm. Whether people go through the whole six years without ever going to one, but knowing that they were there or if there's a bullying incident or if somebody is struggling in class, that they go and talk about their feelings with that, that that just becomes in their psyche that that's what you do Mm. when normal life happens and you need to talk through with somebody who doesn't know you, off you go. And I think Mm. that might be something that we should should look into. It's in a lot of the private schools, but not across the board. You know, it's funny because I absolutely agree with everything you say and... 
I think we fear our emotions a lot of the time. You know, you mentioned earlier, we suppress them, we push them down, we don't want to experience them. But our emotions aren't the enemy. In fact, they are messages to us to help us to, you know, realise how we are doing in the, the experience or the circumstances or the relationship that we're in. And I, a huge part of my work with people is educating them and helping them to understand even simply what our emotions are mean what the function of them are so I will sit with somebody and I will say do you understand why you're feeling angry do you understand what the function of that is and you know people will say no I actually don't and I've never really thought about that before so if we within our education system could educate people uh, and children about what emotions are why we experience them and what to do with them when they come up you know not to be afraid of them to accept them and value them I think that would change so much for for us. Yeah, because we do tend to categorise emotions into good and bad mm. and that you're supposed to trip along day after day, feeling happy, feeling kind, feeling good. And if that's not the case, there's something there's something wrong. And that's mm. why we're afraid of anger, rage, sadness. Mm. But they're all a very natural part and I know we've touched on parenting before the break Mm. we often do that to our kids you know stop crying stop shouting I hear myself doing it all the time instead of teaching that I mean I said there should be a psychologist in every school but also in every home (laughs) we should have a bit of a language around emotions as indicators Mm. for something else yeah if we can validate the experiences our children are having, whether we understand them or not, you know, how powerful will that be for them? But I'm the same, Claire. There'll be times at home where I'm tired and I'm frustrated where I, and I'm being triggered by my little girl who's crying. So I'm absolutely no, you know, expert at parenting. I struggle with that myself. But if we were, again, able to change our relationship with our emotions and understand them and the function of them and why we're experiencing them and feel them and work through them, you know, that's where the struggle comes. If we're feeling really angry and we don't allow it and we don't accept it and sit with it and then release it, that's where the struggle comes because we're carrying all of this anger within us that's putting this pressure on us. And so often when people come into me in the therapy room, they the presenting difficulty might be anxiety. You know, why is that anxiety present? It's present for a reason. What has triggered that in them? What's the, you know, original wound that started that process for them? And so often it's that we're censoring ourselves. We're masking ourselves. We're not being authentic to ourselves because of perhaps learning in childhood that we we couldn't be ourselves, that we were burdening people when we spoke about our emotions, that there wasn't room for us to speak about ourselves. So when we're censoring ourselves, when we're not living authentically, that's where perhaps the anxiety will come from or the depression or the overwhelm. But then throughout the therapy process, when we're able to be met with a safe and comfortable space to be ourselves and to express our needs and to explore who we really are and to let down that barrier and that wall that really can lower that anxiety, that distress, that overwhelm. And people are often surprised if they do go to therapy that you don't necessarily give advice and say Mm. you should do this, you should do that, you should do the other. And I know there's exercises and things you can do to calm yourself down in the moment and and there are certain advices that you'll pass on. But essentially... The person does the work themselves. What is at play there in that sometimes just bringing awareness to something and noticing a pattern 
seems to just dissipate some of the 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 stress. Yeah. Yeah. Awareness is half the work if not more. If we can become aware of what's happening for us and how we're feeling, we can make change if we want to. Now, of course there there will be resistance as part of that there always is because how we are usually functioning often serves us. You know, the anxiety can serve us. It can help us to be more productive. It can help us to keep ourselves safe. So sometimes there's a cost with easing into letting go, you know, in in giving up some of that control that perhaps we hold on to so tightly. But I think as well, it's about giving permission to the person, giving permission to the person to be themselves, to be authentic, to be vulnerable, to express themselves and to be accepted in that. That's really powerful because we don't allow ourselves to show up in the world in that way very often. So to show up in the way in that way in the therapy room and to hopefully be accepted and to still be cared for um, and to be given permission to do that, that can really change things for people along with that awareness and those decisions. Do I want to change? And if so, what do I want to change? What do I want to be different in my life? Yeah. And it's that understanding that if, I don't know, rage comes that you think, mm. oh, hang on. No, I know what's triggering this. And it's just that understanding. It kind of takes the the power out of a little bit. Mm. Do you think modern life is tougher for people at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. And what comes to mind when you ask me that is myself and my husband and my two little girls went to Africa over the summer for seven weeks. And it was the most wonderful, special, incredible journey. But when I was there, I was met with these beautiful, happy, content people. And of course, they didn't have much. They were living, you know, with far less than we live with. But they were living in community. They were sitting around an open fire together cooking their their food. They were sitting under the stars at nighttime telling stories. They perhaps, if they were going to work, they would leave their kids with family or with neighbours. So that that expression or that term, you know, it takes a village. They have that village in Africa. They're in that community. They're in that support. And life goes at a much slower pace. So when I was there, I really recognised that and how it's so different here for us. We're living in such a fast-paced world. We're quite disconnected from each other often. You know, I know I'm disconnected from my family. I live a distance from them. I live a distance from my, my husband's family. I live a distance from my friends, which, you know, will be familiar for lots of people listening. Um, I'm so busy working. I definitely don't connect with my friends as much as I'd like to. The demands and the responsibilities that we have on our shoulders nowadays certainly are are greater than perhaps were on previous generations and certainly that are on the shoulders of those people that are so happy in Africa who I came across. So we don't have the village anymore and we are so busy and we are so disconnected and we do have all of these responsibilities and so often we get caught up in the rat race that we don't check inwards with how we're doing in that or if we need to make a change or what that change might be. And myself included. You know, I came home from Africa and came back right back into the rat race. Certainly my awareness has shifted and I'm contemplating how I can make a change, but I'm not there yet. 
But I, I certainly think our generation, we live such busy, fast lives. Yeah, and the people you met, they know that the path to health and wellness and vitality is actually quite simple. Like we've really mm. overcomplicated it here. Um, but it, yeah, it's it's very hard to to switch it off at the at the same time. Mm. And what about moving online then? Because usually a psychologist, it's quite sort of private work. It might spread by word of mouth, but social media is a huge tool and a platform that you share a huge amount of advice on mm. and you've built a, a huge community with. What was that transition like for you? It's funny, actually, because I went to Africa just before COVID hit, um, towards the end of 2019. And when I was there and had that experience for the first time with those beautiful people, I realised that I wasn't live being true to myself. I realised that I wasn't living in that happy way that all of these people were. And that led to me thinking, well, what will make me happy? What is my purpose? What will fulfil me? And from that came the decision to share myself you know, online and to share my skills and my knowledge and my wisdom because psychology is, uh, it's, it's really hard for us to access it. You know, we access it in the room with a psychologist, but that's, it's really difficult financially. It's difficult to make the time. Often we don't consider even going until we're in crisis perhaps. So I made that decision to, to give myself in that way because it felt like it was an important thing for me to do. You know, again, going back to helping people feel less alone helping people to feel more normal, um, whatever normal even really means. So that that was where that decision came from, that passion to support people. And yeah, it's been really welcomed by people. People are, are valuing the, the knowledge that I share that they wouldn't access in other places. And our internal worlds are so often so alike we just don't talk about them that much because we fear rejection we fear judgment you know we all carry the internal shame and regret and guilt we all carry that struggle of you know am I worthy am I good enough and if we speak about it we can connect over that and we can realize that we're not all that different from you know the other person and social media can be great for that to, to kind of build that community and, and access that sort of information. But we can mm. also use it as a stick to beat ourselves with as we compare ourselves to all these other fabulous lives. But you've mm. been amazing, I think, speaking out about that. I saw you share a, a picture a couple of weeks ago of you and your husband and your gorgeous little girls. Mm. Um, one of them was quite young, just a baby in your arms in front of a Christmas tree. Everyone beautifully dressed. You look incredible. And you shared underneath, this all looks amazing, but I was drowning then. I didn't think I was a good parent. I felt mm. I was failing. I didn't have enough sleep. Mm. We don't know what's going on behind a picture. And we we are saying it over and over again, but sometimes I wonder are people really getting it? And I thought that was a really brave and brilliant thing you, you shared. Thank you. We do look at these beautiful pictures and compare ourselves. 99% of the time I'm I'm at home in leggings with probably porridge on me from where my child has thrown it at me. But, you know, in that moment, in that photo, I had to really try to remember when that photo was taken. I don't remember that day because I, life was really hard then. My child, my little girl Lulu, um, had stopped eating. She had stopped sleeping she was crying all the time. She was vomiting and I didn't know how to help her. And 
I fell apart in that. You know, in that moment, I think she was maybe eight weeks old, maybe a little bit older. I didn't know how to stop my daughter from crying. I didn't know how to get her to eat. I didn't know how to help her to sleep. And yeah, I fell apart in that because I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. Uh, I was feeling really anxious, really overwhelmed. And as you said, I was feeling like a failure. I remember in that time, ringing my mom and just sobbing and just saying, I need help. I can't do this. I really need your help. And I was lucky because she just came to me straight away and she took the baby and I went and slept for an hour and had a shower. And even in that, you know, that really helped me just to survive that day. Um, Life isn't perfect. It's never perfect. We're all carrying something. Well, I could continue to talk to you all day. Perhaps you'll come back again and we'll we'll zone in on a on a topic. Where can people find you? People can find me on Instagram at the wellness psychologist and it's a really good time of year to follow me actually because every January I offer something free, a free program, a free workshop, something that I think will be really meaningful to support the people that follow me, to support the people that are carrying something, that have some struggle or that just want to check in with themselves. Am I happy? Am I living my life in the way that I want to? So come over and follow me there and yeah, I will see you then. Well, you're such a shining light. I've just been so fond of you since our paths have crossed um, and I look forward to working with you a lot more. Uh, the wellness psychologist, Dr. Clodagh Campbell, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Now, you can see how fabulous Dr. Clodagh Campbell is and I am taking part in an event with Clodagh. It's in the new year. February 1st is when it's taking place and it's all around gut health. And we have touched on it many times on the programme and gut health is really one of the biggest buzzwords in health at the moment. If we're looking after our gut and what's known as our microbiome, that can affect everything from our energy levels, our mood and our immunity. So the event is called Go With Your Gut. You'll be finding out how to look after your gut health Una O'Hagan will be there explaining that. We are going to be talking also about food and stress management and movement. So it'll have all of those elements. And Dr. Clodagh Campbell will be talking about trusting your gut and the gut brain access and really going with your intuition. So it promises to be really informative and transformative because you'll be getting to sample a lot of different wellness modalities. And it's taking place in Dublin, February 1st. Go to Eventbrite and search for Go With Your Gut. And I hope to see you there. Coming up after the break, Orla Walsh on what her shiny happy pop art means to her health and wellness. Alive and Kicking on News Talk. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, I've wanted to cover creativity on the show for some time because I think we forget about how it can be part of our health and wellness. Finding something you love to do and losing yourself in it is so important. So for some, it might be taking part in a sport. For others, it might be hitting the seas. For others, it's something more officially creative, which is why I'm delighted to have pop artist Orla Walsh in studio. Orla, you're very welcome. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. So when did art become a big part of your life? 
Um, art, I suppose from a very young age, I was the child who'd draw all the funny bits and pieces in the house. Like I would draw a spoon or a knife or a fork or um, just small things. And then it was really, I wanted to, my mother knew from a very early age that I wanted to go to art college. They kind of like said, this is your thing. And I went to school and my art teacher in school said to me um, that she thought there was potential there and she was renowned for getting people into art college. So um, studied at a portfolio with her and got into art college and then kind of moved from there into graphic design. And it was... Uh, then I was working on computers and I wanted to get back to the physical painting and drawing because that's where the love is and that's where it began. So... I, um, when I got married, it was like that late. I was working in graph design, working on different projects on screen, on some fabulous things, like even, you know, uh, I think we worked on the Riverdance album covers. We worked on the Boys Zone album covers. We, you know, putting them together all in computer. And um, so when I actually got married, my husband said to me, when I was pregnant Ali, who's 23 now, uh, do you want to, you've always said you wanted to paint. So he said, this is your chance. And it was a, like, it's a huge thing for someone to say, you can give up your job and start painting. And I was really, really nervous about it because I said, what if this doesn't happen? And he said, but why don't you give it a go? And so that's how it started. And that's how I started to paint. And were you not giving yourself time to do that, even as a as a hobby? No, there just never seemed to be time to do anything else. But when I was working full time, um, I would do like small commissions for people, and like I I I draw the Hapney Bridge for someone for a present. I would like paint a ketchup bottle for uh, somebody who was getting married, and I do little bits and pieces of that. But I was fully immersed in work and home life, and just getting on with life and um, it, it just seemed like a luxury that I, I, I couldn't afford um, to go back to. Yeah, so. and look, I get it. I mean, working full time, yeah. the busyness of that, trying to have a relationship, yeah. ha- two small kids, yeah. the weekends just fly. You know, it is understandable, but it was your joy. And people yeah. talk so much about mindfulness and being in the moment. And you don't necessarily okay. have to sit in a cushion. If you've got something that you love to do and you can get into a real flow state, mm. that's the magic. Yeah. And so. that's what you've chosen then. You do a lot yeah. of products but you go for the 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 retro um i'm a big fan of your dib dab we've just been looking at the print here that's amazing um you and real iconic products like a packet of marlboro lights or the old lucasaid bottle i was looking at with the big wrap over it that everyone used to bring to the hospital with them and now it's gone all cool and, and edgy but that's what it was at the time how do you pick the products so i picked the product because i'll actually go back through my own life and think you know i'm a 1970s 80s child and if i can paint something that is uh, you know resonates with me and i can like tell a story about it like you know the old seven up bottle you, you know you'd hear gay burn on the radio in the morning your mother hoovering and you know you're sick at home and you know it's either flat seven up or the lucasade comes up and it's like such a treat and it's like warmth and you know just it's like just remembering and capturing a little bit of time. So when I'm painting these images, like even for the easy singles, it was just like that was the stable diet of, I think, every child in the country in the 1980s. You got your, your cheese sandwiches and they were easy singles, bread and butter, your bread and bread and off you went to school. So if something sort of, you know, makes me feel good, then I actually really enjoy painting it. Um, and 
I think the other thing is, is I, I focus so much on pattern and I know that sounds really weird because when the picture's finished, it looks kind of real. But I actually paint in sections and I'll just paint a small section and I'll just paint like each little line and crease. So that's why an awful lot of the pictures have to have plastic in them or they have to have um, reflection in the bottle or, you know, so and like the crinkle of a Tato crisp packet. And that too, like Tato is Irish. It's truly just ours. And because of that, that's why I wanted to paint it. But I wanted to paint the old packets. And when I got in touch with them originally, I said, you know, do you have any images of the old packets? And they said, no, there was a fire years ago. So, and a lot of the artwork was ruined. So they only had very sort of like funny images. So people sent me packets they found under their floorboards and and found digging their gardens or my brother was like renovating a pub there and he was like, you won't believe what I found. Like, here's the two and a half potato packet. So like, I'd take that image, I'd crinkle a new packet and then I'd paint the image on top of the old packet so I'd kind of mix it so it looks brand new but it's got the retro image on it and that like you know I get a kick out of that and people will hear that they'll hear the joy emanating from you when you're yeah. describing your process and yeah. you're incredible with how you capture foil it, it looks 3D and I can't believe it's painted and not done on a computer the images look 3D and what you can do with a foil balloon is mind-blowing. And as well as the iconic products and the nostalgia, love features very heavily in your work from the last Rolo to the phrase, my favourite colour is you. And you're happily married, as you said, mm-hmm. to Kieran, and you have two girls. So how did you two meet and get together? So we met at a hat party um, and he had a huge, big All-American hat in his head. And I remember thinking uh, I wasn't, yeah, uh, too impressed. And then, I thought that was going to go with the Americana vibe. Yeah. I thought this was perfect, but no. It's just like, wow, look at him. And I was too shy to wear a hat. Like, But anyway, but that was where we first met. We met at a hat party and uh, we got together. I actually dropped a bottle of bud on the floor and I was mortified. It slipped through my hands, you know, when it's cold and wet. And uh, it popped on the floor and he ran over and cleaned it up. And I was like, going, oh, that's very nice. So I took the hat off and then I thought, oh, I fancy him. (laughs) (laughs) And he cleans up. He was an absolute keeper. And you were preparing for an exhibition in 2018 when you got a call to say he'd been involved in an accident. Yeah. Who who called you? How did you find out? So... I got a call from uh, I got a call from his phone. I knew he was he was late, and I was actually quite happy because I hadn't um, we'd I'd been really busy trying to work towards the show, and he had been unbelievably kind in that he did absolutely everything. He was doing the washing, the ironing, the cooking, and we just had a big long weekend. And I said to one of my daughters, "Let's fly down to Super Valley, get a chicken, come back uh, because he's late now." So we have this lovely dinner ready, and the phone rang, and it was his phone. But the minute I heard the voice, I knew it wasn't him. And it was a guard on his phone to tell me that he'd had an accident. And I, I remember the shock of it hitting me, thinking, oh, my God, is he dead? You know, just in the, like, I don't know why, but just and he said, no, but he is badly injured. Um, so he said to go to the hospital and that they'd meet us there. And, and that's how it all started. And what had happened? He'd been cycling. So he was cycling home from work. He'd cycled since he was a child, used to um, cycle to school, uh, cycled to work down the IFC for donkey's years, uh, used it as part of his fitness. He'd also do a hit gym fitness class during the day as well. Um, So he was actually cycling down the hill. He was going through a green light 
and um, just by chance somebody turned at the last minute and um, he had to slam on his brakes and hit the car like an arrow. Yeah. So his uh, injuries were life changing? Completely life changing. Um, from the very beginning, we knew from the doctors that he had catastrophic injuries. And by about four o'clock in the morning, um, we were, we'd been transferred to the matter and they were running a, a pin down his body and um, it only got as far as just the centre of his chest here and it was just no, no, no. And we said, you know, after the operation, you know, because his sternum was broken, his back was broken, his chest was crushed, he broken neck, he he just so many different injuries. And um, he, we said, you know, so that'll fix it and, you know, whatever. And they said, oh, no, we're just going to put you back together, but you'll never walk again. So it was very quick four o'clock in the morning to be told that and it, it's just like um, it's it's kind of heart-wrenching because you you understand what they're telling you but you don't the comprehension takes an awful long time to you know the impact of, of how huge it is does not sink in for a long long time because you're so focused on the next thing what's best for him you know so it was a big change yeah, massive change. So does Kieran have use of his, his arms? He has use of his arms. He was told when he got to the NRH that he was a lucky, lucky, look at you. Oh my God, you're so lucky. You're the only one. You know, you're you're blessed because everybody else be like, you know, somebody. So he was at a level just here that he has just numbness here and here, but he has In full use of his arms. Okay, And that is like a huge blessing. And when you see everybody else, like he was in a room of 12 people and, you know, he was the lucky one in in the room. But everything is relative when you're in a, a, a cocoon of a situation. And you're just, it, that was like a big thing for us. You know, he can use his arms. He can learn to transfer. He can, you know, self-propel his own chair and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And but hug and feed himself. That was massive. Hugs and Hug kisses. Is the first thing I thought of. Was, uh, yeah, and also no brain injury. Thank God. Uh, so he's fully complimentous. So he's just him. He's just sitting down, you know. So that that is incredible. And I, I can remember the day my parents basically came to the hospital at night, moved into my house and lived there for, for months. And every day I got up and I cried and cried and cried. And my mother was saying, you know, it's fine. But it really was like being hit by a bolt the day I realised he, he's not dead. Like that was massive for me because... It changed my whole mindset because I was going in with this like, oh, my God. And then suddenly, no, no, he's alive and he can hug and kiss me. And I have him still here with me. So that was like anybody who came in after that, it was like, you know, oh, you're so strong. It was like he didn't die. You know, if he died, where would I be then? Where would my girls be? You know, so that's that's a huge plus for for us as a family, you know, that we can still enjoy life together. And what role did your art play through all of that time? So this was massive for me because I, to, to, to like Kieran will actually say my, my, my studio is like, he goes, I, the minute I'm in it, I'm gone. He said, my favourite, he goes, you always go, oh, I'll just, I'm nipping in there, you know, on a Saturday, I'll, I'll just go down, I'm going to do a few things, I'll be out of there in five minutes. Not at all, he said to you. <laughs> Disappear down there and he said, we will not see you for dust. It's a different world. It is so calming of the mind because you sit down and 
the concentration that you have is so intense for each image. You have to mix every colour. You have to concentrate and, and, and slowly but surely build up the images until this picture appears on the page. So your mind is so absorbed in it. Like sometimes I wouldn't stand up for three or four hours and just it's like, oh, my God. And then suddenly you're hit with, you know, here's the kids and, you know, have you made it? You know, what's for dinner? What's for this? You know, did you get back to that email? Did you do that? And it's all like this chaotic world. But when you're actually sitting down and just painting, it's the most beautiful space in the world. You know, nobody can get inside your head when you're there. And it takes you away from any sort of upset or anything that's going on. So it's, it, it, it is, it, it, it's like a bit of a, you know, like not adrenaline, but it, it's the most calming uh, way to keep your mind happy. Yeah. And like fill yourself back up again. It's like yeah. a recharge. It sounds like you're going in yeah. for a bit of a recharge rather than a, yeah. a drain. Yeah. And it's yeah. such an incredible gift to find what yours is. Yeah. And yeah. how is life now then for you all five years almost on? Yeah. Well, so we were just four years past and I suppose first year was the accident. So that was the like, oh my God. Uh, second year, third year was COVID. So this is our first year of full on life. Um, we didn't have to have FOMO, if you know what I mean, like and see what we'd missed out on. People had stopped going to restaurants, stopped travelling, stopped everything. So we kind of had a couple of years to kind of slow down and catch up. So by the time we ventured out and started with our wheelchair taxis and trying to get to restaurants and seeing, can we get in? Can we get out? Um, it was like a slow process. So he's, he, we have really high highs and very low lows. So he can be well for a week and we have a fabulous week and then he could be sick for two weeks or he could have a bed sore that's he's bedridden or something will happen. So we live in this flip-flop kind of world but it's much, much better. We're adapting the house at the moment, which is incredible. It's hugely exciting because he's going to get upstairs for the first time in four years and he can't wait. I don't know what he's expecting to see. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's very exciting and I'm looking forward to that. Um, so that won't be finished until next summer. But um, yeah, it's just onwards and upwards. He's, he's an unbelievably focused man himself. So he deals with his... Injuries and it's the only time he, he struggles is when he is continually ill. Like his day is very, before he was up at half six, he'd get on his bike, he'd be in work, he he would be incredibly busy, he wouldn't be home till half seven at night, but he used to run, he'd be home on the bike, run out to the back garden in, do the back lawn, back in. Is there a wash on? There's never a wash on, never. You're, you're painting? I'm painting. Okay, when are you finished? When you're finished so we can get on with life within our life. So now his day is, um, we have a care for two hours every day, uh, which is fantastic. Um, but it means it takes him about two, two hours to get up every day, just physically out of his bed and dressed and washed and all that kind of stuff. Um, he has to go on a standing frame, which stands his body up to try and let all his internal organs relax and move because they never do because he, he's no circulation like once you're paralysed nothing happens in your body so um, then he has to work on his arms his legs have to go into a bike movement thing that moves his legs around so you're talking about like I mean we're, we're, we're after lunch at this stage so he works on a couple of boards he'll work online he'll read like five or six hundred papers and then bang gone out cold absolutely destroyed um, we'll sleep maybe from four till seven 
and then um, in the evenings he'd get up and have his dinner and and then really back to bed. So his his life is very is much much smaller and hopefully it'll get bigger. You know, as he gets stronger and stronger, you know, as as it goes along. But it is that flip flop of illness and good health, illness and good health. So it's yeah. like just flip flop. And so. there's no denying that's tough. But as you said, you yeah. just have to shift your mindset to the fact yeah. that he's here and he has to as well. And that he has you and the girls and all the other things going on in life. But it doesn't mean it's not seriously impressive to hear how you've you've all come through it and remained smiley and gorgeous as Ugh. are all of your paintings. They just shriek joy. You do have some limited edition prints for Christmas. Um, what's in the mix? How do you choose which ones? Okay, well, this is the newest sort of range I have at the moment. So starting off with the mix. Mint Crisp um, uh, Retro Chocolate Bar. So it's the old wrapper. And then I've got the Dip Dab. So from all our childhood where you used to go in after mass on a Sunday with your pocket money and you had to, do I get the Dip Dab or do I get the 10 penny bag? But I always went for the Dip Dab. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, Easy Singles, uh, which I mentioned before. And then Cara Matches. And it's kind of like based on, it's the old 2P packet. And it's based on the whole idea of the perfect match as well. And people will be so surprised at the feelings that are evoked from just looking at a product because of everything you associate with it. Orla, I think you are incredible as a person, as an artist. Thank you so much for talking to me today. To check out Orla's work, go to orlawalsh.com. I wish you all the very best. Thank you so, so much. Well, thank you so, so much. I'm absolutely charmed and wonderful to meet you. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer Aidan McKelvey, to Simon Keane and to Hugo De Silva Scott who was on sound. And thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna. Sunday morning at 8. With Benelin. On News Talk.